Welcome back to another episode of Down to the Wire with my NHL analyst, Nolan Thode. Uh, Nolan, how are you doing today? I'm not bad, you know, just new week. It's March 1st, you know, we're slowly getting closer and closer to the summer. Uh, weather was not too bad last week, but, you know, things are just good in the Thode household. And, you know, going with that, we got baseball on the horizon, which means that we are getting close to NHL playoffs. The trade deadline is, in fact, only six weeks away. And, you know, I think uh, I, I really think this trade deadline is going to be quite lackluster due to the quarantine. Uh, you know, the Canadian division teams aren't going to be trading much. Uh, you know, with the American, you can trade with each other because you don't have to quarantine. But I, I don't think we're going to see cross-border trades or, you know, Canadian divisions going to be quiet. Yeah, you know, the trade deadline every year, it's like, you know, typically a hockey fans, one of their favorite days of the year, just because, you know, so much movement in the league, lots and lots of trades, everyone's, you know, getting in their last trades of the season. And, you know, this season, it's going to be a lot more quiet than we're used to. Getting into the news side of things, on Monday, we learned that actually uh, a potential Dave Ayers movie is in the works. Uh, you know, obviously that was uh, in relation to uh, Dave Ayers' one-year anniversary of beating the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, it was reported by Luke Fox of Sportsnet saying that James Corden actually has a production company lined up for Mr. Ayers. Uh, you know, he also went on to say that Corden hooked up uh, Ayers with uh, CAA, which is Creative Artists and Agency. Uh, and the full quote says, you wouldn't believe the amount of production companies that have come to us already asking to do this film. It's insane. And just from that, uh, you know, if Ayers does get a movie, uh, you know, he's getting one, I guess, you know, firstly, uh, then Crosby and Gretzky and some of the other great players that have played hockey. Yeah, you know, obviously in the ranks all time, you know, you're not going to put David Ayers up to Gretzky and Crosby. But just like the whole situation around it, what actually occurred, you know, the, to the casual sports fan, it's it's really insane what happened how, you know, someone who was a Zamboni driver, you know, like obviously he had goalie experience in the past, but this isn't a professional hockey league player and he came in and actually won the game. So, you know, it's, it's an incredible story and, you know, I, I'm excited to see what kind of things will shape up from this. Toronto deployed a Marner Matthews and Tavares line against Calgary on Monday. And I thought that was to potentially spark Tavares because there is a lot of heat going, uh, you know, he's taking a lot of heat because his production numbers aren't there to what the Leafs are paying him uh, and to what, you know, fans are kind of uh, used to seeing Tavares put up. You know, we saw him put up, uh, you know, around consistently like 50, 60 points with uh, the Islanders, but he's never reached that level uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, uh, you know, I think that line that was deployed against Calgary on Monday was kind of to hopefully raise Tavares' offensive uh, stats there. Yeah, you know, this specific line, the Mar Marner Matthews Tavares, they used this last year in the qualifying round against Columbus. And it didn't go too well from that for them. You know, obviously... You know, late game in game four, they were able to come back from 3-0, but they kind of just had, you know, all their best guys on the ice. And then they got shut out in game five against Columbus. So I was I was interested to see them go back to this lineup. You know, the whole the whole Leafs lineup was just kind of weird that game. You know, Frederick Anderson wasn't in. Um, I believe Hyman wasn't in as well, nor was Muzzin. You know, just a ton of injuries. And, you know, this is what they're coming up with, I guess. 
And going off that point, actually, uh, you know, Marner, Matthews, and Tavares are a combined 42.9 million on just that one line, which is actually one of the, you know, in my opinion, one of the more priciest lines in NHL history. You know, we could probably argue that, uh, you know, the Canucks fourth line, maybe like a Jay Beagle, Louis Erickson, but not even that would equal 42.9 million. You know, you're putting a lot of money into your top guys and, you know, to see them not perform up to expectations is kind of disappointing. Yeah, no, I think you're right on that, Mark, saying that's definitely the highest paid line in NHL history. I'm thinking any other time that three guys making over, you know, upwards of 11, 10, 10, 11 million dollars on the same line. No, it's, it's, it's a lot of money going into one line. And I think, you know, being an Oilers fan, I talk about, you know, dry settle and McDavid a lot, but it's huge. I think depth is important and seeing that the, uh, you know, Oilers have been able to shift into, you know, putting those two guys on separate lines. It's worked well. And I think, you know, the whole league should just kind of, you know, stick to that sort of mentality. Jake McCabe is out for the rest of the season for the Buffalo Sabres. He had damage to his ACL, MCL, and meniscus. He's out a to- for a total of six to eight months. Uh, I'm hoping for a speedy recovery for him. He, you know, seemed to have uh, a good, you know, he was going to have a good season for, you know, at least a bright spot for Buffalo. Uh, but certainly that's a hole for them to fill. And, you know, we, you know, the Sabres just haven't really – you know, like they got Taylor Hall in the off season, but he's done absolutely nothing for them. And it's kind of uh, a letdown for Sabres fans once again. Yeah. You know, with Jake McCabe, I'm not sure if you saw the actual injury, but I was watching the game live and, you know, it, it didn't necessarily look like something that would be six to eight months, but it just kind of proves that knee injuries are no joke, especially, you know, in hockey, you can't really skate if your knee is injured uh, and it's tough for them. He was kind of, you know, a solid piece of that blue line, more of a steady guy, that you could kind of trust on your back end and, you know, losing him is a big blow to the Sabres and, you know, they, they've had tons of bl- big blows, you know, within the last month, ever since kind of they went down for two weeks with uh, COVID, I think everything has just gone, you know, the opposite way that things have, they've wanted for them to go in Buffalo. Another player having truffle, troubles with the Buffalo Sabres is Jeff Skinner. He was made a healthy scratch throughout the whole week, actually. He was uh, he was set to return on Saturday, but on that fourth line. So he's still playing fourth line jail time. Um, and, you know, I think personally that if you're trying to get Skinner, who's you're, you're paying $9 million, by the way, uh, to reach that 40-goal season again, you can't have him play fourth line minutes because not only does that limit his capabilities – uh, you know, just all around in general, but that also limits him to, cause you're not going to score every shift that you're out there. And when you're getting fourth line time, right. If you think about that, that's literally under 10 minutes a game. So how are you going to, uh, you know, play him on the fourth line consistently and basically rely on him to uh, score a goal every game? Like he, that's, I feel like that's a very unrealistic approach to take to this situation. So I think if Skinner, um, where to play on, you know, maybe the first line, playing with, you know, Buffalo's best players, then you could see his production levels increase. Yeah, you know, the whole Skinner situation, <clears throat> whole Skinner situation, you know, I mentioned how, you know, I come from a Sabres household. My dad's a Sabres fan. My brother's a Sabres fan. Uh, you know, he had the 40, 40 goal season, got his big contract in the off season. And then, you know, he struggled with injuries a bit early last season, I remember. And, you know, Victor Olofsson, you know, kind of emerged and sort of took his spot on that top line with Eichel and, you know, Reinhardt most of the time. Uh, And it kind of just resulted in Skinner, you know, being second line. And, you know, he lost a lot of confidence and that turned into him being 
third line and then fourth line. And he just, you know, under Ralph Kruger has been unable to, you know, gain that confidence. He just doesn't look like the same player. Uh, I remember uh, two weeks ago, they tried, you know, Skinner on the top line again with Eichel. And, you know, he just looks like a completely different player than he did two seasons ago. Well, here's an interesting stat for you. And this is uh, per Joe DiBiase, who does the, uh, you know, a nightcap show on WGR 550, which is the Buffalo Sabres radio network. Uh, you know, his, so Jeff Skinner's five most common line mates of 5v5. So this is under Ralph Kruger is Marcus Johansson, Connor Sheary, Curtis Lazar, Evan Rodriguez, and Vladimir Sabatka. All right. So you're thinking like, you know, his line mates are absolute garbage. They're trash. Well, here's this. Here, here are Skinner's five most common line mates under Phil Housley, Jack Eichel, Sam Reinhart, Jason Palmanville, Evan Rodriguez, and Kyle Pozo. And to really put the nail in the coffin, 40 goals for Housley, 14 for Kruger. And, you know, that basically tells us everything. Clearly, Kruger is underutilizing under one of their top players and, you know, burying him on the fourth line. And, you know, Skinner even said this week, how am I supposed to learn if you're scratching me for three straight games? Yeah, um, you know, when Housley was fired, I thought, you know, that was the right move. They kind of weren't, you know, going anywhere with Housley. But, you know, two years later, maybe maybe they should have kept Phil Housley because he had, you know, guys like Skinner performing to that 40-goal level. And Ralph Kruger, I believe, is, you know, you know, in the NHL, I feel like there's certain types of coaches, and I feel like Kruger is one of more of those like system type coaches, where you know, like a Tortorella. You know, Tortorella doesn't need a lot of talent to succeed, but I feel like just this team, you know, does not fit Ralph Kruger's coaching style whatsoever. You know, guys like Eichel, Reinhardt, these are guys that you know rely on their offensive game to make an impact, whereas Kruger kind of you know shies away from that a bit, and hiding guys like Skinner on the fourth line, you know, isn't going to help anyone. Not only that, but I, uh, you know, we can we should probably get into the whole Eichel and uh, Kruger fiasco there, where I, uh, you know, Eichel came out and said, you know, his injury wasn't in warmups against New Jersey. I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, there was contradicting reports there when Eichel was interviewed uh, yesterday after their loss, after their shutout against Philadelphia, and uh, you know, Ralph Kruger said. Uh, I think it was Thursday or Friday or something. He's like, yeah, Eichel, he's day-to-day because he suffered an injury in warm-ups. Next thing you know, Eichel contradicts him, and another problem is escalating for the Sabres. It's going from bad to worse really quickly. Yeah, and, you know, uh, Linus Allmark as well going down with an injury. It just seems like things aren't going to get a whole lot better for the Sabres under current management. And, you know, the GM, he's in his first year. I think he's done some decent moves, you know, bringing in depth like like Tobias Reeder, Cody Eakin, pieces like that. So I don't think the GM's on the hot seat necessarily, but, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Kruger gets fired within the next week. Moving on to better news here. The LA Kings are really throwing, but turning back the clock, I should say. Uh, they have the NHL longest winning streak. It actually got snapped. I think it was either, it was four games when I wrote this down, but it might have got extended to four or five. But, you know. I think, I think they made it to six games. Six games. Okay. So, you know, even better. I certainly I didn't have them winning six games in a row or, or, you know, they're even at the top of their division. I I certainly didn't expect that this season. Yeah. um, You know, with, with this new division, you know, with these new division, there's so many dynamics that, you know, come that we wouldn't normally have in a regular season. And the Kings have kind of been able to take advantage of this division. I'm not sure if, you know, the competition's weaker 
or just the t guys on their team are playing better. You know, we're kind of turning back the clock and seeing more of a prime Drew Doughty again, you know, Dustin Brown as well. And Anze Kopitar is always, you know, a solid guy. Uh, but the goaltending as well, I think, is a really, you know, really big indicator. Cal Peterson and Jonathan Quick have formed like a really solid tandem so far. And it's been able for the Kings to, you know, stay afloat, even though they're in somewhat of a rebuilding phase during their, you know, team's history. You mentioned Dustin Brown, and he actually scored during his 1,200th career game. Uh, you know, there are there are going to be a lot of milestones that we're going to mention during this episode. And uh, watching these players, I guess, grow, you know, us growing up watching them, it's crazy to think that they're hitting these, you know, wild milestones. Yeah, like when we were younger, we had like the occasional player, you know, from the last era, you know, retire. And it didn't really have much of an impact on us. But now we're starting to see, you know, the Ovechkins, Dustin Brown, Crosby, these players that we grew up watching, they were just rookies when we were young, you know, and now now they're starting to, you know, be in the twilight years of their career. And it's it really is showing our age and how the NHL is evolving. Matthew Kachuk scored his 100th career goal Monday night against Toronto with a deflection in front of the net. Just a classic uh, Kachuk -y cheese goal right there. Uh, you know, that's his Twitter handle. I thought that was kind of funny. But uh, anyway, um, you know, if you think about Matthew Kachuk, you always think about how he's always in front of the net, making teams, uh, you know, body him, box him out. But uh, just a nice grit and grind goal with the deflection in front. Yeah, and it was good for him. He was kind of on a bit of a schneid, uh, you know, leading into that game. So it's nice to see him, you know, especially with a goal get on the score sheet. He, he's a very interesting case because when you typically think of a net front presence in the NHL, you think of kind of more of a plug guy who just gets in front and screens the goalie. And, you know, Matthew Kachuk is an interesting case because, you know, he has the body to get in front, screen the goalie, provide that, you know, bit of protection for his players but he also has a bunch of skill and he's quick with the puck and he, he can do a lot in front of that dangerous player for sure we talked about dallas's lack of shots basically or lack of goals for you know a couple of weeks ago uh and you know it was very prevalent on monday when they got outshot 29 to 4 in the second period against florida uh, you know, their, their issues are, are still having, you know, that problem of getting the puck towards the net. And it's, you know, it's 2021. Like how, how much are you going to rely on that defensive system? Yeah, you know, it, it seems like they're relying, uh, you know, heavily, heavily on their back end. I think, you know, the Stars last year, the reason they were able to make a run is just because how strong their back end was. You know, Anton Hudobin was playing out of his mind. But then you also had guys step up like Pavelski scoring a ton of goals in the playoffs. But now, you know, in this regular season, when you're not playing the same team in a series, you know, when you're kind of jumping from team to team, you know, these these slower parts of your team, the weaker parts of your team begin to show. And I think, you know, Dallas top to bottom, you know, needs a lot more speed on their lineup uh, just because they're not able to generate a lot of offense when, you know, they can't get the puck deep in the other team's end. One of the NHL top prospects of 2020, I believe, uh, Trevor Zegras made his NHL debut uh, Monday against the Arizona Coyotes. He actually went no bucket during warmies. I thought that was a real power move because uh, usually rookies, uh, for their rookie lap, they wear a bucket. You know, they don't go uh, all flow, basically, uh, during their first game. So I thought, you know, he showed a lot of confidence there going no bucket. Uh, but, you know, coming into his first game, he had nine points in eight, in eight AHL games and, you know, basically telling the Ducks like, all right, I'm done with the minor hockey, you know, call me up to the NHL. 
Yeah, you know, it seemed like, you know, he went from he went from wherever he played last year, whether it was at the development program or college, you know, right into the AHL and he was able to be above a point per game. It seemed like he was ready. Uh, and then, you know, he kind of takes this step up and, you know, it, it might not be as smooth of a transition as we we, we would maybe think, uh, you know, with a player of his talent. Oh, no, we should probably mention as well that, you know, Dallas Aikens, uh, you know, I don't think he's really the best coach for him, uh, per se, because uh, it's come out that I uh, not only, you know, on the projected roster uh, for the lineups, you know, Zegers is playing top six minutes, which you think get like 15, 16 minutes a night. But uh, it came out there's actually a stat, uh, you know, and Zegers is averaging 12 minutes. Uh, for time on ice and you know I don't think that's good enough to get a rookie to get used to how NHL players play whether it's uh, you know taking a body correctly uh, you know just systematically getting used to it Um, you know I think that if you're playing him if you're going to play him on the second line he should earn second line minutes and certainly uh, it looks as though he's earning third or fourth line minutes yeah, his deployment has been super interesting. I remember Dallas Eakins was the Oilers coach. I'm not sure, I think 2012, 2013. And, you know, it was frustrating because we had a lot of young talent on that team that we were excited to, you know, see take that big next step. And, you know, they just really weren't able to under Dallas Eakins. So perhaps he's, you know, a coach that's prone to slow development. He just has a little more trust in his veteran guys. But I think with a guy like Zegris, if you're playing him in the top six, he's talented enough to he's going to be able to find his game within a couple of weeks in the NHL. I think you should just be giving him all the opportunity to succeed. On Tuesday, uh, you know, we had uh, big news uh, coming from the golf world of things. Uh, Tiger Woods was hospitalized in a rollover accident and he needed surgery on both legs. uh, I read from uh, the report there and, you know, he was already going for his fifth back surgery. So, you know, I think the masters is really in doubt for Tiger Woods. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he was involved in it was a single car, car accident. So it's interesting. I think, you know, over the next couple of weeks, we might see more come out. I'm hoping that it wasn't, you know, a, a drunken accident, a little bit of a DUI, because that could get in Tiger in a lot more trouble. Um, but yeah, just, you know, it, he's such an interesting player because, you know, one of the greats of all time, if you're, you know, up to date with golf. And he has the potential now to make not only one incredible comeback, but two throughout his career. You know, he he kind of took a step back, you know, throughout the 2010s. You know, he had some injuries and, you know, some off the, you know, golf course, you know, shenanigans. But he was able to, you know, come back and win a Masters. And it'd be incredible to see him win another one before his career ends, especially after this incident. Once again, the NHL rulebook came into effect on Tuesday night for the Montreal Canadiens against the Ottawa Senators. Uh, There was a controversial call uh, late in the game with about four seconds left as Brendan Gallagher uh, interfered with uh, goaltender Matt Murray. And personally for me, and reading from all the Twitter, everyone said it was a goal. Let's throw it to you, Nolan, because I'll share my opinions afterwards. Yeah, I I think absolutely it was a goal. I think Gallagher, you know, he had a quote that said, you know, I had enough time to get up and reset. The goalie should have enough time to get up and reset. And I think Matt Murray did, you know. If if it was maybe a goal that went straight in, you know, it it absolutely could be pointed towards goalie interference. However, it was a tip goal. So, you know, there's going to be struggle saving it anyways for a goalie. And I think it was just a frustrating one to call. But I, I think that, you know, that goal should have been, you know, counted and they should have won the game late in regulation. From my perspective, 
Um, I believe that Matt Murray had enough time. Uh, you know, because if Gallagher did get does get knocked down, he does get knocked down, uh, and he gets back up ready for the tip. Like, how, how much time are you going to give Murray to reset? The thing is, uh, and I'm understanding this from both uh, sides here. The reason Matt Murray, uh, you know, I guess got the call his way was because uh, if you watch the replay, he was, you know, he lost the puck. He lost sight of the puck and you could tell by his body language that he wasn't set. So that's what, you know, really gave the refs or the situation room in Toronto, the key to say no goal, because uh, by Matt Murray's body language, he was not set uh, for the shot simply because he didn't know where the puck was uh, because he spun around. Well, first of all, he was interfered with second of all, he spun around on his own. Uh, so that's, that in my opinion is why Matt Murray lost sight of the puck or, you know, why the goal was disallowed is because Matt Murray lost sight of the puck. And, you know, it's, it was a real, uh, tough loss for Montreal since they did lose it in the shootout that, uh, game. So, uh, just another, uh, another one bites the dust essentially. Yeah. You know, and also it's an interesting case because Brennan Gallagher, he's a player that's probably going to get up from a situation like that quicker than anyone else in the league, just kind of a style of play. And, you know, goalies, you know, they're kind of taught to be a little bit theatrical in terms of, you know, when they get knocked down, you know, kind of flail themselves around, you know, just to be able to get that call, you know, you see it just a goalie will get a tap sometimes and they'll, you know, go back on one skate flailing back. So it might be an instance of that, but definitely unfortunate for the Canadians. There are going to be tickets sold for Vegas Golden Knight fans. Uh, seven Golden Knights home games during the month of March will go on sale for the public. Uh, 10 a.m. on Thursday, and apparently it's going to be two, 2,600 seats at capacity. Uh, you know, I think at least we're returning, at least there's hope on the horizon, I should say. You know, normalcy, we aren't returning that, we aren't going to return to that for a while now, but at least, you know, there's hope that, you know, at least, you know, over 50, maybe over 70% of arenas in the NHL will be able to host fans at in some capacity. Yeah, you know, just, you know, kind of sprinkled throughout the NHL map. Teams are slowly just able to, you know, bring fans back. I remember last week, I think it was either Boston or New York. Uh, they were able to, you know, bring fans back. And it's just nice to see. I was watching the Arizona game the other night um, against Anaheim. I guess it would have been last week. And, you know, it, it wasn't until, like, the second period I noticed there's fans in the crowd um, just because, you know, there's not too many. However, I do think, you know, it, it does make a little bit of a difference. You know, Arizona was able to, you know, have two 3 nothing comebacks, I think. Uh, and, you know, having fans there could be a part of that, just being able to kind of spark the team. Uh, but, you know, just being, being there, uh, you know from firsthand, you know, shout out to the Hayden hockey team uh, a year ago, you know, winning, winning the championship and having the fans there. You know, it just wouldn't be the same kind of memory for you and for the whole team if the fans weren't there. So I think, you know, just for sports fans and sports, everyone involved in sports, I think fans coming back is just a positive thing, regardless of how many it is. Another heartwarming story on Tuesday was actually news from Henrik Lundqvist. 47 days after undergoing open heart surgery, Lundqvist made his return back onto the ice. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we can see him play again. His retirement is still up in the air, but uh, this is definitely a step in the right direction. Yeah, you know, he, he had an unfortunate offseason getting bought out by the New York Rangers, the team where he played his whole life, um, then going to Washington and then all of a sudden open heart surgery. I really thought that, you know, retirement was what's going to happen for Hendrik Lundqvist. But, 
you know, within 47 days, like you said, of open heart surgery, being able to be on the ice, you know, probably not moving at his tip top shape, but slowly getting back to that point. It'd be amazing if we could one day see Henrik Lundqvist playing in the NHL again. You mentioned the Anaheim or the Arizona Coyotes coming back from, uh, you know, a couple 3-0 uh, games. Well, actually, the Oilers came back down 3-0 against the Vancouver Canucks that Tuesday night. Uh, you know, this team, I thought the Oilers showed a lot of battle. And actually, that power play came in clutch for the Oilers. Um, and personally, I think that Tyson Berry is playing like his Colorado days again. Yeah, you know, we brought in Tyson Berry one year, $4 million dollars. He had a, he struggled last year in Toronto and we were just kind of, you know, we knew Clef Baum wasn't going to be able to play in this season. So we kind of gave Barry the keys to be that defenseman on the power play. And, you know, he's, he's been phenomenal. And I think, you know, the chances of him coming back for another, you know, around $4 million deal are very unlikely. I think he's going to be able to, you know, hit the market like he expected to last season and get this big offer. As for the Oilers team as a whole, you know, I've been an Oilers fan for, you know, the majority of my life. And this type of game, especially, you know, this Oilers team, I if we were to go down 3 nothing two years ago, there's no way I could see us coming back and winning the game. You know, just the way things went in that first period, I would have thought the game would have ended maybe, you know, 5-2. We could have gotten two on the board, but, you know, they would have as well. But just, you know, it shows the growth in this Oilers team. And, you know, under Dave Tippett, you know, the confidence to be able to come back from a 3-0 deficit and, you know, the power play coming in handy as well. On Wednesday morning, the Habs fired their head coach, Claude Julien, and assistant coach, Kirk Muller, after five seasons, uh, after their loss Tuesday night against the Sens. We will never know if Julien survives another night, if the Habs win a Tuesday night. But alas, uh, Dominic Ducharme is named an interim head coach uh, he, to basically go through a quick summary summary of his coaching resume. He coached at the World Juniors both in 2017-18, capturing silver and gold medals. And he actually coached the uh, Halifax Mooseheads with uh, Joe Drouin and Nate McKinnon when they were a part of that star-studded lineup. Um, you know, I think that Bergevin is definitely on the hot seat here. Uh, you know, he's in year eight of his uh, tenure with the Montreal Canadiens. He's already burned through one core uh, featuring Max, pa Max Pacioretty, uh, Andre Markov in those early, like kind of like 2010s in a way. Uh, you know, if Dom Ducharme doesn't work out, uh, Bergevin could certainly be let go at the end of the season. Uh, another reason why I think Julian uh, was fired is because uh, special teams is such a big part of the game. Uh, if you go uh, into the rankings, Montreal never had a top 10 power play uh, or a top 10 penalty kill. So, uh, you know, it was never a good, that's never a good sign when you're a head coach for five seasons. And not only that, but he was never in the running for coach of the year, which I think kind of plays a significant part. Like he was never even top five. Or, you know, if you can at least get top five, then yeah, sure. You should be able to, you know, that's a reason why you should be able to keep your job. But, you know, nonetheless, he never won coach of the year. And even as we saw on Saturday night, uh, you know, Julian, and it seems to have run in the family there, uh, you know, the coaches for Montreal, they don't use good players during three on three situations and, you know, points are getting away from the Montreal Canadiens and they're going to slip out of this playoff picture sooner rather than later if they can't figure out this three on three play. Uh, and the record goes to show like Montreal has never won a three on three game yet this season. And personally for me, if Dom Ducharme doesn't work out, I would like to see Benoit Gould take over 
uh, as head coach. And this is actually a rule set in by the owner, by uh, Jeff Molson. The head coach and GM both have to be French because he realizes that half of the population of Montreal Canadian fans are from Quebec or, you know, do live in the Montreal area. So he wants to make sure that the coach and uh, general manager can answer uh, questions from the media in both in French and English. Yeah, you know, it's an important thing to be bilingual when you're working within the Canadians organization, just because, you know, there's such a demographic of Canadians fans that, you know, it's, it's, it's convenient for them to be able to see a, you know, coach that can speak French. Um, you know, I, I think it was the right move. I, there was a press conference with Bergevin and he said, he brought up last year how, you know, they lost eight games in a row to, on two separate occasions. And he just kind of felt that the direction that this team was going in, you know, in the last couple of weeks was kind of trending towards, you know, maybe one of those, you know, slumps where they did lose eight games last year. And, you know, in, in a tight North division, you can't really afford that. I do think it was the right move, though, uh, ultimately to fire Claude Julien, just because, you know, the indicators you said, you know, special teams is a big part, big part of, you know, of hockey. I remember, you know, the Oilers under Todd McClellan and Ken Hitchcock, we couldn't get anything going on the power play and our penalty kill was horrendous. But, you know, we've been top 10 in the league under Dave Tippett and it's just, you know, been been so huge, you know, being able to, you know, compete and being able to get get the most out of those situations. Uh, you know, Bergevin, as in terms of him on the hot seat, I could definitely see that. Uh, but I do think he, he's built the best Canadians roster that we've seen in the wild, just top to bottom, lots of depth. Uh, but they do need the right coach to, you know, lead them at the helm. And it's going to be interesting to see what Ducharme can do in his tenure. Two teams that are allowing fans into their arena, getting back onto this topic, are the New York Islanders, which are supposed to be allowing fans on March 18th. And actually the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, their, uh, you know, the North Carolina governor actually came out and said, you know, we're going to allow uh, up to 15% capacity, or sorry, 15% capacity is the max that we're going to allow for fans to be inside uh, indoor arenas. So, you know, again, uh, we love to see fans in the stands. They add an extra element to the game that is definitely missing. Uh, you know, we saw that last year in the bubble. I felt that, you know, uh, fans are, you know, we're definitely missing them uh, this season. Yeah. You know, for the Islanders, um, I'm not sure. I, I, I've, I've kind of known, but kind of don't know for sure if they're back in, you know, on the island. They played in Brooklyn for a couple of years, and I know that a lot of, you know, ticket sales and fans just in New York kind of went down. Uh, but now that I think they're back in the island, they've, they've built a new arena. It's going to be nice for the fans to, you know, kind of break in and, you know, kind of start to rebuild that Long Island culture that they had before they made the move to Brooklyn. You know, as for the Carolina Hurricanes, I'd be interested to see if we get a little bit of a it was the storm surge um is that what it was called the storm yeah yeah, for yeah, the yeah yeah um it'll it'll be interesting to see if the fans come back that that'll spark some of that and i think you know that was a big part of carolina in the last two years a big part of their culture is that you know they were able to have fun with their fans and you know be a bunch of jerks and you know make, make light of being a professional hockey team so it'll be interesting to see when those two teams get fans back in the building the Flames offered up stingy defense against the top team in the North Division, the Toronto Maple Leafs, allowing only two goals in two games, which, you know, doesn't seem much. But when you consider that Austin Matthews was on, uh, you know, like 11-12 game uh, point streak, along with how many goals he scored during that game or during that point streak, um, you know, it, it's crazy to think that uh, David Riddick was, was as well in net and taking over Jacob Markstrom. 
I, uh, you know, it's crazy to think that uh, that Flames defense really did stymie uh, the Leafs offense. Yeah, I think they had no other option. You know, they lost 7-1 to the Oilers last Saturday. You know, their defense and goaltending alike just, you know, was a real low spot on that team. And I think, you know, the Flames have had such an interesting season. Uh, you know, they've, at the start of the season, you know, when they, they had a winning record, they had a little, you know, meeting within their players. And, you know, things have seemed to have gone down from there. Uh, the Flames, they believe that they should be a competitive team. Uh, and I think, you know, the mindset after losing 7-1, you know, they had, the, they had the right mindset going into play at Toronto in that series and being able to have some more stability on the back end. It's a, it's a positive thing for Flames fans, for sure. Well, I know for me, I'm missing OHL hockey and Owen Sound Attack defenseman Andrew Parrott. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing his name, but uh, he posted a three-page paragraph to Twitter describing how important it is to the players to have an OHL season. Currently, they are the only team left in the CHO that is on standby. The WHL opened up their uh, season this past weekend uh, and the QMJHL has been, uh, you know, resumed playing. And, you know, just to summarize the article here, uh, you know, he cited having an OHO season would be good for mental health for the players. And, you know, seniors have really missed out on furthering their academics. They're only used to taking one to two courses to balance out their life at the rink. But, uh, you know, had they known this would go on for so long, I'm sure the seniors would have furthered their academics, taking more courses to kind of, uh, you know, do more with their time since they have so much time off. Um, there's a there's going to be a petition. I'm going to link in the bio of the video. So if you can, please uh, go sign this petition. Uh, you know, we're just trying to raise awareness to get an OHO season underway. I miss it a lot. Uh, Nolan, I know you miss it. We usually go to a lot of Hamilton Bulldogs games together. That That's always a blast. And, you know, for the players, I, you know, this goes a long way for them because this was going to be their draft year. A lot of them play in the OHL. And uh, I just hope that uh, Lisa McLeod, who's the minister of sport, gets something done in order for these players to play. Yeah, you know, it's just been frustrating for, you know, both fans and players of the OHL. Uh, you know, this season, whether it's, you know, only 20-something games, I think, you know, anything would be better than nothing just to be able to see them get back on the ice. On Thursday, uh, you know, Bruce Boucho actually, there was a report on NHL.com that said Bruce Boucho's interested in the Seattle Kraken head coaching job. And, yeah, you know, uh, that vacancy is still, it's still open. Uh, we haven't learned yet who the next head coach would be. I think it's going to be Gerard Gallant. Uh, maybe that's because he did so well with Vegas. Uh, but, you know, I think that uh, Glenn would be a perfect fit be simply because of the expansion team. Yeah, you know, this isn't the NHL, but with the NFL, I feel like, you know, something that's been happening in recent years is, you know, these kind of under the, like, under the radar sort of coaches kind of step onto the scene, you know, Sean McVay working his way up, Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona. Um, I think, you know, the NHL should maybe take note and start to, you know, transition to more of a new age style of, you know, coaching in the league. And with Bruce Boudreau, you know, yes, he can come in and maybe build a solid system, but for an expansion team, you know, maybe Bruce Boudreau wouldn't be the best coach and they should have someone that can, you know, kind of, you know, come onto the scene, you know, Ger Gerard Glant, a good option as well. He, he did it with Vegas, but someone to just sort of like build a new culture in Seattle and, you know, grow with their team rather than, you know, a coach maybe stuck in 2005 in terms of, you know, his style. 
the Flyers are getting fans back in the stands, but I I don't think the limit is known quite yet, although it could be. Uh, anyway, uh, again, uh, you know, the players are even speaking out about it. A lot of Flyer fans are saying, or a lot of Flyer players are saying that they're definitely excited to see their fans back in the stands. I'm sure Gritty's going to be, you know, excited as well because he loves playing pranks on the fans. So not only are the players going to enjoy it, but even the mascot as well. Yeah, you know, I, I've watched a couple of Flyers games this year and they just have Gritty on this big platform up in the stands. Uh, so it'll be nice to see some more orange in the crowd. Uh, you know, Philadelphia, one of those teams kind of, I feel like their energy radiates off of their fans. You know, them, you know, Boston, Washington, these sort of teams that, you know, they, they have hardworking fans. They come to the rink to watch their team play and the team kind of puts on a hardworking, you know, show as well. So it'll be nice to see Philadelphia getting their fans back. The Senators are getting a lot of confidence from their series against the Leafs and Habs, in my opinion. You know, they are one of the more uh, bottom teams in the NHL, so that could be a reason why they're playing so loose. You know, they have really nothing to lose, and they could really sneak up on some teams. Yeah, I think, you know, with the Senators, I think they get a little bit underestimated. They still are an NHL team, and some people kind of, you know, refuse to think that they are, and like you said, sneak up on them. Uh, you know, they can, they can compete with, with the best of them. You know, they've beat the Leafs, they've beat the Habs, uh, the, the Winnipeg Jets they've beaten, they beat the Flames this week. So, you know, pretty much almost every team in the North Division. I think, you know, this style of play that they're doing is perfect in terms of their development. They're kind of just letting their young guys go out there and play. You know, Batherson's been solid this season. You know, Brady Kachuk, as always. Tim Stutzla has been exciting. And I think, you know, just getting these guys all the time in the world, all the opportunities will be good for their development. And when their team is ready to, you know, actually compete for, you know, the playoffs, not so much a couple wins in a season, I think, you know, it'll it'll show from these years that these players have come a long way. Demko, like it, like I mentioned, uh, you know, he had to really step up his game, uh, and he did. He did uh, Thursday night against Edmonton. He played phenomenal, but despite that play of Demko, I still believe that uh, Jim Benning is on the hot seat as well. Uh, you know, just because losing to Foley and losing Tanev, uh, you know, these losses on their decor, they haven't really fully recovered from it. Yeah, you know, their owner came out and said that Jim Benning and Green weren't on the hot seat. That's what he has to say. I think Jim Benning, you know, even two or three years ago, people were calling for their head. And, you know, with the success of, you know, Pedersen, I think it's given him a little bit of, you know, more slack, you know, just because, you know, people, every time they want to fire him, they can look to, oh, well, you know, he drafted Pedersen, you know, he made such a great move. But I do think, you know, as a whole, you need to be looking at everything that he's done. And like you mentioned earlier in the episode, the Canucks fourth line, you know, guys like Beagle, Antoine Roussel, Brandon Sutter, Louis Erickson, just making a ton of money. I think, you know, they're in a sticky situation. And, you know, Benning definitely should be looked at in terms of getting fired. I think Florida is legit. I think they're definitely uh, going to be a tough team, a tough out. Uh, you know, they're currently actually third in the league if you go points percentage-wise, which might be a smart idea uh, given all the postponements that we've had. Uh, anyway, but I think if Chris, it's all because of Chris Drieger, I think, uh, you know, his play has been phenomenal this season. Uh, you know, I think that he could be in the Vesna trophy winning race. Uh, you know, if the way, if he keeps up the way he's been playing. Yeah. You know, one of those dark horse candidates, you know, when you think of Florida and goaltending, you think of Bobrovsky and his $10 million contract. Unfortunately, they have their hands tied with that, uh, potential buyout coming in the next few seasons definitely could happen. 
But, you know, Drieger, people don't really know about him just because he was the backup last year. But this season, he's been lights out. Um, I, I think he's only lost one or two games when he's been in. And, you know, a 920-something, 930-something, you know, just to do that over a, a decent amount of games is phenomenal. And his play has been helping them, you know, be, like you said, second in the league. 7-2-1 with a 2 2.18 goes against average and a 928 save percentage. That's good for me to uh, definitely be in the Vesna trophy race. Yeah, I think, you know, the difficulty just might be in terms of, you know, the amount of starts to win the Vesna, just because, you know, when you're paying someone $10 million like Sergei Bobrovsky, it's hard to put them in that, you know, sort of backup role. And, you know, he had a good, na- he had a good game the other night, uh, but I think a split start at least should be what they're doing in terms of, you know, how well Drigger has been playing. Speaking of goaltenders, uh, we should probably talk about Carey Price. Uh, he is, you know, definitely struggling. There's no way to sugarcoat the information, but we aren't too far removed from that bubble play where he posted, uh, you know, consistently like nine tens and nine twelves and nine, you know, nine hundred save percentage, much better than what he's posting right now. Uh, you know, and I really think that play is because of the color of his pads. The, you know, I'm very convinced that uh, you know. Sorry, I don't. I don't like the red pads. I, I hate them uh, because I think um, you know the shooters can see a lot of the net. You know, look at Nate Thompson, right? If you're looking five hole, he scored the you know one of the goals on Thursday night, I think, against uh, uh, you know when Montreal played Winnipeg. Anyway, but you know when you have red pads, that's so glaring. But you see the you see the net underneath. And yeah. uh, I think that with white pads, he did much better with white pads in the bubble, might I add. Uh, you know, it, it kind of camouflages within the net. You don't see the net as clearly as you do with red goalie pads. And, you know, Jake Allen, he's playing with white pads. Look how well he's doing. Um, but that could also, you know, you could also make the argument that Allen is better with rest. And he's getting a lot of that rest this season since, you know, you kind of mentioned it with how, uh, you know, Bobrovsky and Kerry Price are both getting paid 10 million plus, And you should give the boatload of the starts to them. Yeah, uh, I saw a tweet and it was just saying how interesting goalies were. You know, Kerry Price, you know, he, he's a goalie. He's won the heart. He's been known as, you know, one of these greatest, greatest goalies in the league. You know, maybe even one of the best of all time. Uh, but he was just saying how interesting goalies were. Like, imagine if Connor McDavid all of a sudden had four points in 10 games sort of thing. You know, that's kind of what we're seeing from Carey Price, just taking a huge step back. You know, I still do believe he is one of the top goalies in the league. Just, you know, every every goalie does go on, you know, a little stretch where they're not playing up to their, you know, full potential. And, you know, whether it be the red pads or that, you know, he's got a, he's got a young kid at home keeping him busy. Uh, I just think there's a lot of factors and we're not, we're not really used to seeing Carey Price play this bad because he's been so amazing throughout his whole career. And, you know, the players get pulled every year uh, on interesting questions. And, you know, the question that, you know, comes up is, you know, who's the best goalie in the league? Well, Carey Price is, you know, still top two. Like players still think, uh, you know, Carey Price is one of the best goalies in the league. Cause he, and, and to mention, uh, before you jump in here, to mention the NHLPA, right? They were going to go a best of three series in the first round, in the, in the playing round for uh, the playoffs there in the bubble. But, you know, you know what stopped them? Carey Price made them change it to a best of five because they're, the players are like, oh, no, uh, Carey Price can steal two of those three games and the series is quickly over. So, you know, if you want to fight me on that, fight me. But the facts are facts. And, you know, he is struggling, but there's reasons why I believe that Carey Price should be the starter going forward. 
No, I absolutely think he should be the starting going forward. And all I'll say on the bubble situation is it didn't matter because they still won in five games. So, uh, you know, Carey Price, you know, any given night, I'm still confident if he's in my net. Ken Holland was actually giving praise to Jesse Puglia-Larvey on Overdrive TSN 1050 uh, radio and TV uh, show there. Uh, A couple of the quotes that I quickly jotted down uh, during the interview was, you know, he's giving the puck to Connor and Nuge. Uh, He's a net front presence. And, you know, admittedly, uh, Ken Holland said that, you know, Jesse Puglia-Larvey did lose his swagger after getting drafted really high, but he went to Finland to regain that confidence. And so far it's paying off for him this season. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, big credit to, you know, the way that Dave Tippett kind of transitioned him into the lineup. You know, people expected when he came straight from Finland to be on, you know, McDavid's wing, perhaps. But at the start of the season, he was playing third line minutes with, you know, Kyle Turris, uh, you know, James Neal, guys like that, you know, and sort of just, you know, gaining that confidence depth wise. And, you know, once he showed enough flashes of his skill, and of his impact on the ice, that's when, you know, he made the transition to the first line. And it seems to have been, you know, pretty seamless. And, you know, he's fitting in really well within that group. We got another uh, brutal news uh, coming from Canadian media once again. Uh, Sportsnet is cutting radio for Blue Jays broadcasts. Uh, you know, the TV crew will, or, you know, they're going to simulcast it, which means that the TV crew will do play-by-play for both TV viewers and radio viewers this is just, you know, and they're blaming the pandemic, but, you know, they, they, you could, last season, the Jays and Roger Sportsnet did a radio broadcast for all uh, 60 games or however many were in the season last year uh, for the Blue Jays. So who's to say that you can't do it again this season? And, you know, I find it crazy that Canadian media, Canadian media is taking a turn for the worst, in my opinion, uh, by this and, Baseball, in my opinion, is a perfect game on the radio. You're driving home, you got a 30-minute drive or whatever, flip on the game, and, you know, it's perfect because of the pace of play, because of how slow it is. Uh, You know, it's a perfect game. It's basically made for radio, and then you're just taking that medium out of it. And also, the Jays are the only MLB team to do that this season. So, you know, a lot of eyes are on Sportsnet for cutting radio. Yeah, no, I think I think you said exactly what I was going to say in that baseball, you know, for me, at least I think of baseball as, you know, a great game to have on the radio just in terms of, you know, just how the game is played. You know, it's it's not something where there's too much complication where you can't really describe what's going on. You know, it's kind of there's there's simple ways to describe what happens, you know, pop out fly out, ground out, et cetera. And it's just, it, it is a game that's really nice on the radio. So it is unfortunate. Um, and, and, and it also affects, you know, the TV broadcast. Now that they're kind of, you know, playing for both TV and radio, we might see a little bit of a shift in terms of how the games are being presented. And, you know, overall, just a negative thing. And like we mentioned the other other week with a couple of stations being cut, it's just unfortunate because, you know, sports radio, it's it's kind of a lost art. And hopefully we don't see, you know, it, 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 kind of be eradicated in the next few years hopefully not i i think this kind of disrespects uh the people who you know did work for the jays in the radio business you think of uh 
you know, Jerry Howarth, who, you know, we kind of grew up with, you know, you may not be the biggest baseball fan, but he was the main play-by-play for um you recognize the voice 100 percent. yeah exactly you know and these guys you, you recognize the voice and you know there's not you, there's not going to be a different broadcast which is kind of weird because now you know i feel like the commentary is going to lack a little flow from since you're uh, you know advocate or you know you're creating an audience for both tv and radio there's it's going to be you know a little choppy in my opinion yeah no 100 percent, and i think you're right on that hunter miska started his or you know he started before i don't think this was his first nhl game but uh the goalie for uh the colorado avalanche actually got credited with his first nhl win friday night over the arizona coyotes three to two uh you know the coyotes have now gone three straight games with giving up a three goal lead before actually starting to play so that is a trend that you know the coyotes should definitely look out for yeah no i i was watching this game actually um and, you know, Miska was playing well to this point, but he hadn't been tested so much. And, and late in the game, all of a sudden, Arizona scored two goals. And, you know, I was hoping that he could he could shut the door because, you know, being up 3-0 late in the game and then blowing it and not being able to get your first win would have sucked. But it's nice that he was able to hold on. And, you know, not a good thing for the Coyotes. You know, being down 3-0 is not a good thing in three straight games. Uh, they've been able to somehow, you know, pick up four four total points out of uh, out of six uh but it's not it's not the way you want to start a game it's like the nuggets in the nba playoffs last year how they said going into the the conference finals how you know they asked the the coach jokingly said to start the series down 3-1 to the lakers uh but it's just like even if you're tested and able to come back from it it's just not a situation you want to put yourself in the potential rookie of the year, certainly not in my books. I think Kevin Lankinen's going to win rookie of the year. Kirill Kaprizov for the Minnesota Wild was all over the ice against the LA Kings Friday night. Uh, you know, he out-hustled Drew Doughty for a wraparound goal. Uh, you know, we mentioned that Drew is having a definitely one of his better seasons in recent years. Uh, and, you know, Wild fans are getting a nice glimpse of at the future of their team. Yeah, you know, the, the Minnesota Wild offense, it's never been something they're known for, but they've been super solid over the last couple of games. You know, obviously Kaprizov being this young talent, exciting, but, you know, guys like Zuccarello, Jordan Greenway, these guys, uh, Ryan Hartman as well, these guys that you're maybe not used to being these elite point scorers have somehow been this. And I don't think it'll stay for the whole season, although I do think Kaprizov is going to be a solid piece and just something to look forward to 100%. On Saturday, uh, Joey Decord, Pecas guest, uh, made his first NHL appearance in relief of Matt Murray. Uh, you know, he was solid. Uh, I was watching that game. And, you know, Joey Decord, it was actually uh, reported, uh, I think, on the weekend that DJ Smith will start Joey Decord in uh, either tonight's game against uh, the Flames or tomorrow's game against the Montreal Canadiens. So, it's going to be interesting. I, I'm certainly happy for the kid. Uh, I can't wait to watch him, whether it's tonight or tomorrow night. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just super excited for him. Yeah, you love to see it. I think he went five for five, you know, wasn't tested too much, but, you know, made all the saves that he needed to do. Unfortunately, you know, they were sort of out of the game at that point. Um, but, you know, hopefully, you know, that he gets the full game, like you said, either tonight or tomorrow night. Uh, he, he can, you know, show, show, you know, that he's a solid goaltender and transition into being the backup for this team. 
Another milestone that we witnessed is Thomas Shabbat has a hundred career assists. Uh, you know, it's not much, but uh, you know, you got to feel good for the guy because he's playing on such a crappy team. Uh, you know, he's able to accomplish that. And hopefully, uh, you know, he's going to be the stud of that team. He's such a stud. Uh, and hopefully Ottawa can build a competent defensive core around him. Yeah, no, I think Shabbat, you know, he's even though he's been on a bad team, he's been able to show that he's going to be a solid NHL player with, you know, a, a good career. And I hope that, you know, he's able to do it. I was listening to uh, another podcast, another hockey podcast, and they were saying how the Senators are building around Brady Kachuk. But I'd actually make the argument that the piece that they should be building around is Thomas Shabbat. You know, it's not often when you have that, you know, workhorse sort of 24, 25 minute a night you know, top power play, you know, he just does everything super well. And I think, you know, maybe five years down the road, we could be making the argument that he's one of the best in the whole league. Linus Allmark is out at least a month and that basically does it for the Buffalo Sabres season, 11 seasons and counting for the Sabres playoff drought. So uh, on to next season, the Sabre fans go. And again, they'll be drafting hopefully in the top five. Yeah, you know, at least they, at least Buffalo has the Bills and they're not on their, you know, treacherous drought that they had throughout the 2000s. Now they're starting to get into the playoffs. But like I said earlier, you know, the start of the season wasn't too bad for the Sabres. People, you know, they were actually doing fairly well, you know, within that East division, you know, only a couple points back. But as soon as the COVID bug hit them and they were out for two weeks, it really just kind of, you know, really put their season, you know, took it all the way back. And now they're struggling a lot. On Sunday, uh, Alain Vigneault uh, won his 700th career game as the Flyers pulled off back-to-back shutouts against the Sabres. And that was actually Carter Hart's second career shutout, which actually kind of amazed me in his young career. So, uh, you know, you obviously love uh, shutting out your opponent two times in a row. Uh, congrats to Vigneault on his 700th career game, or 700th career win, I should say. Um, and yeah, I just got to love how the Flyers are playing right now. Yeah, you know, Vignol, I'm, I was used to seeing him, you know, he made the run in 2011 with Vancouver and then with in 2014 with the Rangers. You know, he, he kind of went out for a little bit, you know, wasn't coaching. And when he got hired by the Flyers, I absolutely love the move just in terms of the team roster. You know, they have a good mix of veteran and young players, you know, guys like Konechny, Fairby. Uh, but then, you know, you also have, you know, the Giroux and Couturiers. So I think, you know, Vigneault is just the right coach for this Flyers team. And, you know, two straight shutouts, even if it is against the Sabres, you know, they're proving that they're one of the top teams in the league. Nashville beat Columbus 3-1, and now Columbus is on a five-game losing streak. And actually, there's a rumor saying that Tortorella could uh, be on his way out the door because of this losing streak. Uh, he has one year left on his deal. And, uh, you know, I think that... Um, Tortorella, if you were to leave, I don't know if that's such a good uh, mentality for the Blue Jackets. I kind of like uh, Tortorella because he's hard on the players, yet, uh, you know, they, they kind of find their mojo when Tortorella does get hard on him. I think, you know, it's one of those situations, in my opinion. Yeah, he, he was questioned about it after the game. They asked him, you know, if he was worried about that. And he said, like, he said that he, he's that's never something that he worries about getting fired. Um, he's He's been fired in the past, though. So, it's interesting. I think, you know, Torts is just the perfect coach for Columbus, and I couldn't imagine anyone else being behind the bench, you know, just based off of the sort of culture that he's come in and built, you know, in his, in his tenure here so far. 
Patrick Kane scored his 400th career goal. Another player that we've been growing up, Showtime, uh, you know, he is one of the best, uh, you know, definitely in the top three conversation for uh, best American hockey player ever. And, you know, he's one of the best Blackhawks ever, actually. He's top five in goals with that 400th career goal. Uh, You know, you know, I can't wait to uh, watch him score more. Uh, He's definitely my favorite Blackhawk for sure. Yeah, you know, throughout their his whole career, it's been the Kane and Taves show just in terms of, you know, the two of them, two sort of, you know, quote-unquote superstars being on the ice. And this season, there's been no Taves, and, you know, Patrick Kane's been able to step up and kind of be somewhat of a leader because they have so much youth on that team. And it's nice to see him reach 400 career goals, and I agree with you in everything that you said in terms of being one of the best American players of all time. He's just an incredibly talented player, and, you know, even in these years of his career where he starts to, you know, probably decline – you know, and eventually retire. I think, you know, he's still a phenomenal player and has such an impact on the game. Time for Pegs' predictions. Uh, I went three and two last week. I'm not sure about your record, but uh, hopefully all games get played. Uh, You know, a few times when we've done this, uh, games have gone postponed. So here's to hoping they all get played. I have the Islanders over the Devils, uh, Rangers over the Lowly Sabres, Flyers over the Penguins, the Red Wings over the Blue Jackets, uh, Canadians over the Senators, Predators over Hurricanes, Jets over Canucks, and finally Lightning over Stars. I think I went three and two as well. I'm not too sure. Uh, a couple of OTs screwed me. I, I was I, I was close to being five and zero, oh, but all of a sudden it was three and two. You know, I had some games. You ended up being right about the Senators over the Habs. Your you know kind of wild card prediction uh, this week. I'll go with the Islanders over the Devils. Um, I'll go with the Sabres over the Rangers. I'm always going to be a little biased picking the Sabres. You know, the Rangers, they're missing a lot as well, and hopefully it's an opportunity for the Sabres to, you know, win that game. I'll go with the uh, I'll go with the Canadians two weeks in a row over the Senators. I think they're a different team. I'll go with the Blue Jackets over the Red Wings. It's just been tough, tough season for the Red Wings. The, you know, they're missing some key pieces as well right now. I'll go with the uh, Hurricanes over the Predators. I'll go with the Penguins over the Flyers, actually, and I'll go with the Lightning over the Stars. Uh, last game, actually. I'll go with the Jets over the Canucks, uh, hopefully, because I picked up Laurent Bassois, hoping he plays the back-to-back game for my fantasy team. So hopefully he'll win tomorrow night. Well, I'd like to thank again Nolan Thode for joining me on another episode of Down to the Wire. Uh, thank you again, Nolan. No worries. It's always always a pleasure, Pags.